At this time, I'll ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10. What a song to remind us that we need our Savior, not just in the midst of a pandemic, but certainly we need Him at all times, pandemic or not. 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 5 through 10. As you're turning there, um, again, I want to thank you for joining in. I asked our uh, tech staff if they could use some CGI to turn me into Idris Elba or Denzel Washington, but they told me uh, that was outside of their scope, and so um, you will have to deal with what is before you. Now, if you remember, we are doing a series called Life Together in the Book of 1 John. And every week, we're going to take a principle from this passage uh, in 1 John and apply it to our lives together as a covenant community. Now, this is certainly an unusual set of circumstances. I wish you all who are watching was here right before me, but you're not. And I, I know that you're here in spirit. So as I begin to teach and preach God's word, forgive me if it seems just a tiny bit awkward, Um, I would have enjoyed seeing your faces here in the sanctuary. Well, the last time we were together, we did um, what a life of joy looks like within the covenant community. And today we're going to look at what the lifestyle of repentance or living a life of repentance will look like in the covenant community. So if you have 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, hear now the words of God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Listen to these glorious words. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's uh, open in prayer. Father, I so thank you for today. Lord, we know that in our hearts, We long to be with the brethren, but you have providentially hindered us. And yet, Lord, at the same time, you have provided a way that we can stay connected, first and foremost through your Holy Spirit, but secondly through technology. And so, Lord, even though we are not gathered together as a people, we are gathered together by means of the Spirit and technology. Help us uh, in sweet fellowship now. And above all else, O Lord, this is your word, and these are your people who are listening to it, grafted to their hearts. Challenge them to love you and serve you more. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a blessed symmetry 
um, between Martin Luther's first thesis of his 95 theses and his last words. And some have pointed this out. If you look at Martin Luther's first thesis of his 95 thesis, he said that when the Lord Jesus bid us to repent, he intended that we or our lives be lived as lives full of repentance. Some 30 years later, Martin Luther, many claim that he said, we are beggars, this is true. What a wonderful statement, because what Martin Luther was telling us is that the entire Christian life, the sum total of the entire Christian life, should be a life of repentance, specifically repentance from sin. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, what is a lifestyle of repentance? What does a lifestyle of repentance look like? Well, look at 1 John 1, 9 and John tells us what a life of repentance looks like. First of all, we see that the life of repentance looks like, first of all, confessing our sins. Second of all, a trust that God is faithful and just. And thirdly, that we ought to rest in God's provision of grace. So what does a lifestyle of repentance looks like? Well, first of all, it begins with confessing our sins. And that's what John says, if we confess our sins. Now, John begins by letting us know that confessing our sins is hard, right? It's hard. How do we know that? Well, he puts it in a conditional clause. This means that he acknowledges that not everyone likes to confess sin. In fact, we often find it hard to admit when we're wrong. As Elton John said, right, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Now, why is it that it is so difficult for us to repent, to say we're sorry, to ask forgiveness? Well, John tells us in verse number 8, if we say that we have no sins, watch it, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what makes repentance so difficult? What makes saying sorry so difficult? We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves by telling ourselves that we are practically perfect in every way, right? I call it the Mary Poppins syndrome. We believe that we're practically perfect in any, every way. And by the way, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But God says, no, you're not perfect in every way. In fact, what I call the Mary Poppins syndrome is what God calls pride and self-righteousness. The reason why we struggle to repent and ask forgiveness of one another is because we're filled with pride and self-righteousness. Why should I have to repent? What is it that I have done? You know, I have a friend um, who is a mediation lawyer. And one time he told me, he said, Dennis, people pay me thousands of dollars, and I don't mind, but it baffles me that they are willing to spend thousands of dollars um, to have me mediate when they could probably pay a fine for $500 if they only say they were sorry. In fact, he said he had this one client, he told them, he said, listen, if you pay $750 and say you're sorry, right, you would avoid having to pay me $5,000 in order to mediate this issue with you. And so his client looked at him, and his client says, huh, let me think about that. 
Why does he need to think about that? Does he not know math, right? It's much easier, or for him it would be much easier, if he just paid the $750, but no. He refused to say that he was sorry. And because of that, it cost him all of this money. Now, beloved, hear me today. If we in a covenant community acted like that man, it cost us more than money. It ends up costing us relationships. Husband and wife, if you don't practice a lifestyle of repentance toward one another, it has dire effects on your marriage. Parents and children, children and parents, if you don't practice a lifestyle of repentance, it can have devastating impacts on your long-term relationship. Yes, in that particular case, it cost him a few thousand dollars, but for some of us, it can cost us our relationships and even relationships within the church. A lifestyle of repentance is uh, not conditional. It is something that we ought to do. John says we ought to confess our sins. And by the way, John is also reminding us that we need to confess our sins and not the sins of others. I'll never forget, every Easter, um, we would have this Easter egg hunt, and the pastor that would do the Easter egg hunt would always line the kids up, and he would say, how many of you are sinners? And very few people would raise their hands. But I'll never forget, he would say, well, how many of you think your brother and sister are sinners? And everyone raised their hands. They even raised their legs, right? Why? Because we know and we can see the sin in others, and we're very good at confessing the sin of others. So-and-so did this. So-and-so did that, right? We're gifted at pointing out the sins of others. But notice what John says in verse number 9. If we confess our sins, our individual sins, that's what a lifestyle of repentance does. It, it costs us not to look at the other person, but look at ourselves. What have we done in this situation? What could we have done differently? And by the way, if each one does that, then we won't end up hurting the other pe person or being selfish or self-righteous towards the other person because we're always looking inwardly and asking the Lord, what is it that we're able to do? So John says, if you want to live a lifestyle of repentance, the first thing you need to do is confess your sin. Notice the second thing. He says that we need to trust in the goodness, the faithfulness, and the justice of God. That's the second part of it. Now, one thing about this statement to me that John makes where he says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, one thing that's humbling and freeing about this statement is that the efficacy of the confession, from my standpoint at least, from the confessor's standpoint, has nothing to do with me but in the faithfulness and righteousness of God. In other words, John is saying that uh, when you go to repent before God, you don't have to try to make the repentance sound just right for God to forgive you. Because your, your repentance and how you say it and how you craft it has no bearing on the fact that God is faithful and just and will forgive you, regardless of how it sounds. And by the way, this is a remarkable, remarkable statement. The faithfulness and justice of God. Now, you might be sitting there asking, Pastor Dennis, how do we know that God is faithful and just? Well, look at verse number five. 
John says, this is the message we have heard from him, him being Jesus, and proclaimed to you, which would be us, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Hear me today. How do we know that God is faithful and just? Because John says the very message that Jesus proclaimed to us is that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. There's no evil in him at all. Now, it has been my experience that some people balk at that concept, that God has no darkness in him at all. You know, the majority of the people that I've listened to that are atheists or people who have deconstructed their faith, they often say that there is some darkness in God, right? In fact, the very essence of the problem of evil is predicated on this fact, that if God is so good, if he's so just, if he's so faithful, then why does he allow evil? And it is that very fact that so many people get tripped up on. And so many people would walk away from the faith because they cannot conceive of a good God allowing babies to die or babies to starve or people who've never heard about the gospel to die and go to hell. But John answers this, and I think he answers it in a brilliant and profound way. Notice with me in verse number 7. John says this, but if we walk in the light as he, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see what John says? John says, saying this, if it is true that God uh, has darkness in him, and he's a bad God because he allows sin and suffering, then why would such a God send his son to die on the cross to deal with sin and death. That's a logical inconsistency. We cannot on one hand claim that God is evil and wicked and wrong for allowing sin in the world and at the same time deny the fact that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die to take care of the very thing we are charging him for. And so John says we are called as God's people to trust in the faithfulness and justice of God. And how can we trust in that? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. He is the very picture of what it is of the fact that God is always willing to forgive sins. I'll never forget um, when Maddie was born. Um, you know, when you have your first child, you kind of feel like a grown-up. And so uh, what you start doing is you start doing grown-up things. Um, and so one of the grown-up things that I did was I started writing down all the people that I felt like I've, I've offended but never, like, made restitution with or made reconciliation with. And so thankfully the list wasn't a laundry list, right? It was only a few people. So I began calling through that list. And one by one I, I called a few people and I said, you know, hey, I, I remember doing this. I, I was a jerk. I shouldn't have done it. Um, please forgive me. And they were very gracious, and they said, hey, man, that's, you know, that's fine. Thank you. I'm glad you called me. But there was this one person I called, and they didn't answer. They didn't pick up. And I called again, and I kept calling, and I emailed, and they didn't answer. And finally, when I got them on the phone, they weren't as gracious. In fact, they told me that what I had done was, to some extent, unforgivable. And they hung up the phone. You know, until this day, that 
that really bothers me. Because I so badly want to get or be in fellowship with them. But you know, as I think about that, it reminds me of how good and gracious God is. Because the Bible says that all God requires from us is to confess our sins. Hey, listen, there are people in your life, you will do things to them either intentionally or unintentionally, and they might never want to forgive you. And that's hard, because you can lose a friend, you can use a relationship. But please know this, there is nothing that you can do to a holy God that he will not forgive you for. Now, some of you who are biblically astute would say, well, Pastor Dennis, what about the, the unforgivable sin, right? Doesn't the Bible talk about an unforgivable sin? Yes, but do you know what the unforgivable sin is? It's when you don't repent. It's when you reject the leading of the Holy Spirit and you don't ask for forgiveness. And what does the scripture tell us in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess. So even the unforgivable sin is forgivable if we confess before God. He is still faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Notice the third and final thing. How can we live a life of repentance? Rest in the provision and grace of God. John tells us in verse number 9, that because God is faithful and just, he promises to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, in John's day, this message of forgiving all sins was desperately needed. You had many Jewish communities that would tell you that for certain willful sins, there was no forgiveness. And even more so for little minor uh, you know, venial sins, you had to go through this elaborate and complicated means of asking for forgiveness. But John says, no, no. All you have to do is ask the Lord to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All you have to do is simply ask, and the Lord will do it. Now, what gives John the authority to say something like this? This is audacious. Uh, is this, what, apostolic privilege? No. John didn't make this up out of thin air. In fact, John got it straight from the mouth of the Lord. Notice with me in verse number 1 of 1 John. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, and which we've looked upon. And then later on, he goes on and says, All of those things that Jesus had said and done and proclaimed to them... He is telling it to us. So John is telling us exactly what Christ told him. He is giving to us exactly what Christ has done. John was around Christ and saw him forgive the sins of prostitutes. He saw him forgive the sin of the woman that, that was caught in adultery, or the woman at the well, or the publican, or the Pharisees. He saw Jesus forgiving the sins of people. And sometimes all Jesus said was, go and sin no more. Or your sins have been forgiven you. He saw how gracious and loving and kind Jesus was to the sinner. And when the sinner came to him, all he did was say, my child, you are forgiven. That's what emboldened John to be able to say that all we have to do is confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And notice that word all. 
you know, we in the Reformed faith, we love to parse words, right? Is it all without exception or all without distinction? Well, the answer to our question is yes. Um, all means all. It doesn't matter the nature of the sin. Now, some of us, uh, in our minds sometimes, we have certain sins we say it might be hard to forgive. But, you know, I remember one day sitting down and thinking that God forgives the liar, the pedophile, the mass murderer, the wife beater, the children um, trafficker. If they but just come before the Lord and ask forgiveness, he's willing to forgive them. Drug addicts, murderers, put any sin in that all and it's under the auspice of the Lord. Beloved, I cannot tell you what a wonderful, blessed thing it is to know that all my sins have been forgiven. That I stand before you today as a man guilt-free because the sin and the guilt and the shame of my past was rolled onto Christ, and now I can walk in newness of life. All sins, all sins... If you all were in here, I would say, everyone say all sins. Uh, but all sin, all sin is taken care of by the glory and the majesty of God. And let me tell you, John's message is so timely today. You know, like you, I've been reading the news and reading the blogs and reading all the things on the internet. And I see people concerned about every aspect of their life. I see people concerned about COVID-19, their financial situation, their physical health, their mental health. But John is saying, of all the things that you can lump on that uh, fair fire, right, that rages in our community today, the one log you don't have to throw onto that is your spiritual life. That because Christ came and died and rose again, you and I can walk in newness of life. And we don't have to fear our spiritual well-being. We don't have to fear whether or not we're right with God, Christian. If you are out of sync or out of fellowship with your Lord, he has made a provision. It's called confession. All you have to do is come before him and ask for forgiveness. And he says that he has promised to forgive you of your sins and bring you into right relationship with him because he is faithful and just. But even the unbeliever, the one who is estranged from God, God says, if you but confess your sins and humble yourself, I will bring you into a new relationship with me so that you might have everlasting life. And so if you're out there today and you are not a Christian, please come experience the grace and power of God to be in union and communion with him and fellowship with him. And if you are an unbeliever and you're far away from God, don't wrestle and struggle. Confess your sins and experience the grace that comes for your Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need your help every day to live a life of repentance. Help us, O oh Lord, to learn to confess our sins. Help us, O oh Lord, to learn to trust the fact that you are faithful and just. And help us, O oh Lord, just to rest in the fact that you our sweet Jesus has provided the means by which all of our sins are forgiven and we can walk in newness of life because of your grace and your mercy.
Be with us now, O Lord, as we go forth and proclaim your name. In Jesus' name, amen.